tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Welcome, welcome so glad you came to join me in doing battle against the demonic forces that infest all my computers. It's so discouraging. Where's the any key? Um, there doesn't seem to be any any key. Oh, let's pray. That always helps. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created. You shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. You are not going to believe <laughs> the first reading. It's it's one of the, I think it's one of the most, if you read the whole chapter in 1 Kings, the second chapter, the first verse to the 12th, it is one of the hardest passages in Scripture to deal with. Not are you to kidding understand, me? But to, no, I wouldn't kid you. But let's go to the gospel first. Mark, the sixth chapter, the seventh verse. Um, <clears throat> this is kind of interesting. Uh, well, it's always interesting. Jesus seems to give uh, contrary instructions. So let me let me pull that up. But in this gospel, he's saying, "Don't take anything for the journey," uh, um, and uh, that's kind of well impractical. Okay, this is uh, the the version we have today of this story is Mark, and let us look at this. Mark six eight. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Um, <clears throat> then, um, let's see, and he says, and to wear sandals, but not a second tunic. Oh, in another reference, in Matthew 10.10, 10, he says, take no bag for the road or second tunic or sandals or staff. What's going on here? In In... Mark, he's saying, take a staff. He doesn't mention sandals. Uh, um, well, no, he does mention sandals. Let me let me get this. Um, he tells them, I think he tells them they should take sandals. And in one reference, he says, don't even take sandals. Well, I think he's probably talking about extra sandals, but he still says, don't take a staff. Uh, this is a hard verse to to reconcile, and what probably is going on is um, um, I, I, I have no way. To, this is not going to make anybody happy. 
either the the copiers got it wrong or or um uh two different people are quoting Jesus differently. Matthew was there uh when when Jesus uh, said do these things. So uh, um this is kind of uh well big, but why does Mark uh, um why does Mark say you should wear sandals? Well, Mark may be, remember, Mark is hearing this secondhand. And I, I really believe that, that, that the gospel writers were the gospel writers. And remember, the Holy Spirit is trying to say something. So the Holy Spirit here is saying two different things. And I'm, I don't think it's going to make anybody happy, but I'll share it anyway. Um, in Matthew, we're reading uh, about total dependence on the Lord. And that's what Mark is saying too. Jesus said, "Don't don't provide for the journey. Just go. God will provide, and and uh, your the workers worthy of his hiring. God will provide it." That's the sense of the passage, in all of its versions. But why would Mark throw in wear sandals and take a staff? Um. Well, Mark is emphasizing the sacredness of the mission. The Holy Spirit through Mark is emphasizing the sacred sacredness of the mission. Remember when Moses went, he took a staff. And this is the the New Testament, the new giving of the law. So the staff harkens back to Moses. But the sandals? I remember talking to a Guatemalan um, who had grown up very poor and had come to this country and done quite well. And he told me that when they were little, they would, if they had shoes, they wouldn't wear them. You, you, if you went to town, you would sling them over your back, your shoes. And when you got to the edge of town, you would sit down and put your shoes on. Because shoes were a status symbol. People were so poor when this man, and he told me this in, in advanced age, uh, they were so poor that, that shoes were a great luxury. And to have shoes was a sign that you weren't dirt poor. Uh, and this was true in the ancient world, that that footwear was something that meant you were not at the bottom rung of society. So the staff and the sandals emphasize the importance of the mission. So I can't really explain that, well, did Jesus say one or did Jesus say the other? If I were going to say, which did Jesus, which are the very words of Jesus, I would go with Matthew. But on the other hand, he might have said, he might have given them instructions twice. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I know what the staff and the sandals mean, and it makes sense for Matthew in the midst, or for Mark, rather, in the midst of this uh, declaration of uh, of complete dependence on God to, to throw in staff and sandals because they had meaning. I don't know that's going to make anybody happy because we are such hopeless literalists, and uh, we can't understand that the scriptures are really the speaking of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, is, uh, may have added the staff and sandals. Um, so that, that's just thoughts on the staff and sandals. Maybe I'm wrong. And as I say, I wasn't there and I got, thank you very much. I got a letter, uh, <clears throat> from someone, uh, that, that is in this passage. And maybe I'll, I'll save that for the word of the day because he thinks it's pretty funny when Jesus says, when you're in a house, stay there till you leave. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah, you're going to leave before you leave? Or are you going to leave before you stay there? I'll explain it. 
uh, in the word of the day. That'll be my word of the day for the day. And very interestingly, uh, whatever place does not welcome you, leave there, shake the dust from your feet. I have heard, I don't know if it's true, but I've heard it, that that a devout Jew, especially a rabbi, if he was traveling outside of the Holy Land, is when he came to the borders of uh, of Eretz Israel, he would sit down and literally take his, his sandals off and shake them to get the dirt off, the, 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 the unclean Gentile dirt off his feet so as not to pollute the Holy Land. And what Jesus is saying is everywhere is holy ground that accepts, accepts the gospel. And if they don't accept the gospel, it's unholy ground. Uh, I think that's the meaning of it. So they went off and preached repentance, and the twelve drove out many demons, and they anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. What's this anointing oil business? Um, we use oil a lot in the Catholic Church. I, I think I shared with you a story of a, an evangelical friend of mine who came to visit, and I was getting ready for the sacrament of confirmation. The bishop was coming, and and I, I put out the uh, the oil, and I put out the bread and the wine and the water for Mass. And the best way to get oil off your hands, the old-fashioned traditional way, is dry bread and lemon juice. The dry bread is a great uh, 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 abrasive, and the lemon juice cuts the oil. So I put out the lemon wedges and the dry bread. And he looked at me and said, what are you doing making a Caesar salad? <laughs> I thought, well, we in the Catholic Church do kind of use things like vegetables in liturgy, that sort of thing. I mean, the, the God touches all of our senses. We have the word for our mind, we have prayer for our spirit, and we have lemon juice and oil and all those things for the body. Because we are, we are not souls uh, trapped in flesh. We are incarnate spirits. My body really is me. And I'm not going to be me without the possibility of a resurrection. So, what's going on with oil? Well, I don't know about you, but it gets pretty dry in the winter here. And your lips want to jump off your face because they're so cracked and dry. And you go into the drugstore and you you pay some money for lip balm or... or, or uh, 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 I guess the, the common word is a chapstick, no brand intended. Um, and you can't wait to get the wrapper off and smear that stuff on your lips. Uh, oh, it's like instant relief. They used oil in the ancient world as that sort of thing. Very dry desert climate. Oil was as close as they got to hand cream or lotion or, or uh, you know, lip balm. So um, uh, that's the symbolism. I don't know if it's a good theological definition, but I think a good practical definition is uh, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who we sense in prayer. When you go into a quiet church and you just feel like the Lord's there, I've seen people actually run out of churches because they found it creepy. There was someone there and they couldn't see them. Well, it was the Lord present by the Holy Spirit. The Lord is in the tabernacle by the power of the Holy Spirit, which consecrates which we call down on bread and wine at consecration. So the Holy Spirit, I'm always telling you, is the first person of the Trinity you meet when you sense the presence of God, not just as an historical character, but a living being present to you in experience of great beauty, a beautiful sunset, a walk in the woods, a quiet church, a beautiful hymn. That, that, that sensed presence of a person, I think we can say that's the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. It's not a good theological definition, but I think it's a useful practical one. So uh, what does this have to do with oil? The symbolism is that 
the Holy Spirit is as wonderful to the soul, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the balm of the Holy Spirit, the balm of God's presence in the third person of the Trinity is as wonderful for the soul as as chapstick is for the lips. How's that? That's the meaning of it. So we anoint with oil as a prayer for the Holy Spirit. When there's an anointing with oil, no matter the sacrament, it is in fact a prayer for the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. So there you go. Let us now go to the first reading, which is going to just unglue you. What you must do, you must, <laughs> I'm commanding you, well, I'm just suggesting strongly, you got to read the chapter. First Kings, second chapter. David does not come off well in this. I've just clicked on the USCCB site, clicked on the uh, citation from the first reading, and it takes me to the chapter. When the time of David's death drew near... He gave these instructions to Solomon, his son. I'm going the way of all earth. Be strong and be a man. I mean, that's that sounds pretty chauvinistic to me. But uh, uh, he says, hold on, let me let me get that here because we want to make sure it says exactly that. I mean, I don't want to. Thank you very much. Thank you. The the weight music. All right, I've got it. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. So be strong. Uh, and act like a man. Let's see what it says in Hebrew. It says, um, um, be strong, and, uh, and prove yourself, uh, become, uh, come to pass. That's what the means. Haya. It's the verb to be. It's, it's, um, it's, well, it's, it's be. Be laish. Wahaita leish. Le means for or toward, and it's a man, a male of the of the species. That's exactly what he says. I wanted to look that up. Ish means man, and Isha means woman. It it's he's saying, be be like a man, which um, I'm sorry. Don't shoot the messenger. Okay, let's go back to the the chapter. Keep the mandates of the Lord. And then he goes down to verse 5, which is not in today's reading. You yourself know what Joab, son of Zeruiah, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He killed them and brought... This was, these were, these were uh, uh, generals of, 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 of the army, and, and Joab killed them. And Joab specifically... Um, killed uh, um, um, Absalom, the beloved son of David, when David had said, spare him. Uh, this is this is really something. Uh, this guy was, was a ruthless politician. So, uh, let's see, he, he was uh, uh, played a pivotal role in saving David's reign, but on the other hand, he, he uh, uh, killed Abner to avenge the blood of his brother Asahel, and uh, according to Josephus, and uh, uh, Abner was, you know, important in in David's uh, in, in in David's. Uh, he was he was a cousin of King Saul, and he was commander in chief of the army, but he had done nothing wrong, and and. Joab killed him. Joab was a was a was a mean character. So um, 
the, the well, let, let me get back to the passage. Uh, so he says, don't let uh, um, Joab go down in, uh, he, he put the blood of war on the belt about his waist and the sandal on his foot. So act with the wisdom you possess. Do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. Sheol being the underworld. In other words, kill him. Be true to the sons of Barzillai. Uh, they were loyal to me. You also have with you Shimei, son of Gera. Remember Shimei the other day, the guy throwing rocks and dirt and cursing David? Uh, and I swore to him by the Lord, I will not kill you by the sword, but you must not let him go unpunished. You're wise. You will know what to do to send his gray head down to the shell in blood. In other words, make sure he's killed also. This is a man after God's own heart. The last thing he does is pronounce a death sentence to people, one of whom he swore not to kill. What's going on here? Well, David understands that Joab and Shimei, Shimei being in the clan of Saul, that these people were a danger to the peace of the state. They had committed treason and they would there would not be peace in the reign of Solomon. That's what's going on. David is doing the the legal uh, uh, the legal thing, and he's doing it for the sake of the peace of the kingdom. And I think you know, well, how could he, he be a man after God's own heart? Shouldn't he just have forgiven? I think this is an important lesson: understanding God's heart. If we persist in sin. He allows us to suffer the consequence of our sin. Let me say that again. God, in his love and mercy, and mercy, if we persist in sin, allows us to suffer the consequences of our sin. In other words, if I choose sin, God will let me have it. And sin is its own punishment. As you measure out, so it's measured to you. Joab was a man of blood. Now, Shimei was not killed outright. He he was told he could not leave the city of Jerusalem because in Jerusalem, Solomon could keep an eye on him. But if he left Jerusalem, he would die because he would be going to the uh, outside of Jerusalem to foment rebellion uh, and, and revolution. And Shimei lived in Jerusalem, I think it was for three years, but then there were some slaves of his who ran away and he went and fetched them and he'd left Jerusalem. And so... Solomon said, I told you what the consequence would be, and he killed him. He, Shimei, in a sense, chose to disobey the king, and that was a danger of treason. If he could get away with it that once, he would leave town again. You know, God, God is perfectly merciful, and I believe that part of his mercy is to give us what we want. And if we choose hell, he will give us hell. No one would choose hell. We choose hell every day. When we choose sin, when we choose selfishness, we choose hell. So David was a man after God's own heart, even in this last act in which he says, Solomon, Joab will, will, will cause uh, violence and revolution in the kingdom. Take care of him. And Shimei, keep an eye on him. That's what he said, and he did. So there you go. Uh, it's one of the toughest, toughest chapters in Scripture, I believe. And, uh, um, but I think if you understand in its context, it makes perfect sense in terms of David being a man after God's own heart. 
because God will not be mocked. All right, let us go to a break, and we will come back with letters and things like that. Oh, 888-914-9149. Do call in, 888-914-9149. Join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Częstochowa, and the Infant Child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at relevantradio.com slash Poland. That's relevantradio.com slash Poland. Get rid of Shimei and Joab. So there you go. That's the point of it. All right, moving along here. I, you may not be convinced, but that's the way I read that 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 passage. That uh, um, uh, that um, life would not have been tenable in the reign of Solomon. All right, let us move on here to letters. Okay, I've got all sorts of letters. This is a great one. This is from uh, um, an anonymous person in Hawaii. My non-Catholic... Uh, yesterday I talked about, you know, there was the, the story of the brothers of Jesus, um, uh, the brethren of the Lord. And um, uh, the non-Catholic aunt said, nonsense. Uh, well, I pointed out that, that uh, though the scripture says Jesus had brothers and sisters, it doesn't say that Mary had other children. We're assuming that she did by reading that. And that it is clear that two of the people who are called brothers of Jesus are in fact not children of Mary of Nazareth. They're Mary of Clopas. They're children of Mary of Clopas, James and Joses. <clears throat> but that aside, I make the point that, uh, that Mary stood alone at the foot of the cross and she went to live with John, who was probably a relative. And uh, um, he would, they would most certainly have if Mary had other children, she most certainly would have gone to live with them. Well, my non-Catholic aunt said that Jesus did have brothers and sisters, but that Jesus gave Mary into John's care because Jesus' brothers and sisters were non-believers. Well, how do I answer this? And I sent a note saying, answer it with First um, um, Corinthians, the ninth chapter, talks about the brothers of the Lord. The brothers of the Lord, in fact, were believers, and they thought they should run the church. And uh, uh, they were very, they were called the Desposini, they, they, those who were with the master. And, and they really thought that they were to get perks because they were relatives of Jesus. This explains a lot of passages in the scripture when, when Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? Um, the, uh, those who, who uh, believe are my mother and brother and sister. So um, uh, I don't think that argument holds weight. Uh, clearly, the brothers of the Lord, uh, some of them actually seem to have been uh, followers of Jesus. James, the brother of the Lord. James, we call him James the Lesser, James the Minor. Uh, he was clearly a believer and was the bishop of the Jerusalem church. Uh, no, they, they were believers. It was because it was because they were not um, immediate relatives of Mary in that sense. All right. I think that that's historically really pretty verifiable. All right, let me go to other letters here. All right, 
where are my other letters? Okay, this is here. Click. All right. <laughs> All right, that's the one I'm going to use. That's a letter from Mary <laughs> about today's gospel. I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm going to use that as the word of the day. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll uh, go to another letter. Here we go. Come on, other letter. Okay, this is from Kieran. This is a good one. What is the difference between offering constant forgiveness to someone and letting that someone take you for a fool? What about fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Well, that's not actually from the Bible. Just like God helps those who help themselves, that's not in the Bible either. So um, you got to understand what forgive means. The word in Greek is aphiemi, which means to let go. And we're to let go of the offense, but sometimes we have to let go of the person. Um, I mean, that's literally what it means to let go. I mean, so often in, in a situation of marriage or dating, um, you'll get people who are, um, not very well balanced. And, uh, I've seen this, that, that, um, that people in, in intimate relationships become, well, stalkers. I mean, uh, I want to know where you are. I want to know when you, where you're going, what you're doing. And, and they're usually psychotic <laughs> and uh, marriages uh, that can, I think that actually can invalidate a marriage that if a person is, is obsessed to that degree that they are not mentally balanced enough to be married. But you'll see that in, in dating relationships that, uh, that uh, a person will treat uh, that other partner badly uh, until and just be very callous about it. But then when someone else gets interested in the other partner, oh, you're not taking what's mine. That idea that this person is mine and no person can own another person. <laughs> you can try. It's called slavery. But, you know, it just is. is I've seen this repeatedly. And and um, uh, the in that case, forgiveness would be to let go of the relationship. Part of forgiveness would be to get out of a toxic relationship. And if you are heartbroken because the person that you thought was going to make your life wonderful and happy leaves you, let them go. You know, it's a very interesting thing. as is Father Simon's advice to the lovelorn. In a relationship, you want someone who is strong, not someone who is needy. And when you say to your partner, I need you, I need you, I need you, I can't live without you, I can't live without you, I can't need, I, I need you, I can't live, I'll die if you, oh. well, I guess uh, you're going to have to get along without me. But if you say, I will miss you greatly, I love you dearly, but I will live, that's a strong person. And I've seen so many relationships that go through that phase of, of kind of breaking up and then the person realizes, no, this was a good and strong person. Let it go. Remember the scripture says, cast your bread upon the waters and it will return to you. Yeah, it's kind of soggy, but <laughs> I think that's a, a, a reference. It's a hard pass to understand, but I think it's a reference to a Jewish custom uh, of, um, I think, oh gosh, is it in preparation for Rosh Hashanah? I think it's a, a New Year thing that you're you're throwing out your sins by casting bread on the water. Um, so, uh, this idea of forgiveness, uh, if you are in a toxic relationship, an abusive relationship, you let it go, which means maybe you let the relationship itself go. Um, 
to love, as I always point out, is to to love is to will the good of another. And if you are making a person's life miserable and thinking that that's love, it's not love. Let it go. So, yeah, you you let things go. If someone, you know, the normal course of events that someone says something insulting to you, a friend, uh, someone who's beloved says something that you don't like, let it go. If someone is dangerous, maybe you need to let more than just the offense go, but the person and the relationship itself. So remember that to forgive means to let go. And our goal is love. Our goal is to will the good of another. And is this relationship good for them? Remember, this is a very difficult passage. Uh, uh, The great commandment is to love God with everything and to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, We are not commanded to love our neighbor more than we love ourselves. Now, let's let's redefine that with the Reverend Know-it-all, St. Thomas Aquinas definition of love. Will the good of another as well as just as much as you will the good of yourself. You know, we don't we don't choose ourselves over others, but we do not choose others over ourselves. In those relationships that are unhealthy, uh, oh, I guess I have to stay in it because I'm a Christian, and this person is beating me and and uh, making my life miserable. So I suppose I should take it. Now there are reasons to stay in an unhealthy relationship, especially if it is a sacramental relationship. And uh, there are children involved, but there isn't there isn't a reason to keep it unhealthy. In other words, you go to counseling, and uh, if you're in an alcoholic situation or a drug abuse situation, you go to Al-Anon uh, to stop enabling your beloved uh, in in their in their abuse of you and the family. These are hard things, but it's it's a balance and we really need to be aware of what is for the best for us for our children and for the people whom we love and who claim to love us so i i don't know if that's helpful stuff but just to say oh i got to put up with it that's not necessarily forgiveness um so all right just some thoughts on it it's it's a kind of hard thing to do but i i thoroughly recommend uh groups like alanon uh all right, let's see here. What have I got? I oh, there I uh, that one. I word of the day. What time? Let me think here. I got another one. Plenty of time. That's what the voice in my head just said. Um, I thought I had another one in this bunch of mail. Ah, I, I suppose I can take the time again to recommend Father Father Rocky's Eucharistic videos. I particularly like the one about being quiet in church. Uh, they really are good, and and I I think that. Uh, we can all benefit by them. Let me see. I got another one. I got another one. Ah, here we go. Let's see. This is uh, at the neighborhood uh, parish. The, the priest sang, Holy God, we praise thy name, instead of saying the offertory prayer. Blessed are you, O God. Why doesn't he read the black and do the red? That's the saying. You know, the priest celebrant is supposed to... Uh, Say the words that are in black and do the things that are written in red. This is, they're called rubrics. Uh, and you look at the Roman Missal and printed in red, the priest now turned toward the people says. That's in red. That's a rubric. That's what you're supposed to do. Why doesn't he read the black and do the red? Hoping he's not going wonky. Well, I, I think he might be 
going wonky. Um, you don't change the words wonky, a very good word. Um, I, you don't, you know, I always tell people you have the right to the Catholic mass. You have the right to the mass that's in the Roman Missal and not the mass that father makes up because he's cool. So, um, I, I, you know, again, don't rat him out to the bishop or anything. Go talk to him. And if he says, oh, but I like to improve on it, say, Father, you're violating my right to hear the Mass as it has been given to us. Uh, you know, the, uh, um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big deal, that, that he should say what's in the black and do what's in the red in, in the Mass. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with a word of the day. And the phones are open at 888-914-9149. I do have quite a few lines open. 888-914-9149. I've got to be me. What else can I be but what I am? This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. When Mama sang, the angels stopped to listen. You could see the love light shining in her face. When Mama sang, the angels stopped to listen. <laughs> when my mother sang, uh, I don't know that the angels stopped to listen. We did sing a lot doing dishes, my family, but uh, uh, when she prayed, I know that God stopped to listen. And I, it was a wonder to see my parents at prayer. They, they, you knew they were talking to God. I wanted to mention something. I, I got the news that um, uh, I, one of, well, she's actually, I suppose I count her as one of my teachers. Mary Jo Tully um, uh, passed away. I don't know if that means anything to you. She was a... a you know, in the glory days after the after the council, she was she was very very um, what's the word? Uh, she's very instrumental in in so many uh, good things. I mean, civil rights movement and Catholic Jewish relationships, and uh, she the the Vietnamese in Portland loved her, and uh, so she was just a, a good good. Uh, woman and and uh a great servant of the lord in the church so um rest in peace mary joe and uh you know uh, i just wanted to mention that uh, mary joe tully was a was um uh, i think that you know i look back on those heady days after the council and everything was going to be great and well if everyone had been like mary joe i think it would have worked but moving along here uh you know, I think she's very progressive, but she wasn't angry. And uh, I think that that was, she, she was, well, enough. Rest in peace, Mary Jo. I don't know if, if you knew her. I just want to let people know that uh, she has passed away at the age of 86. All right, uh, a great woman. All right, where was I? What, who, where? Oh, the word of the day. Oh, this is great fun. I got a letter about, uh, where did I put it? It's about... Um, 
this is, as I said from Mary, this always makes me laugh. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave for that. Well, what else are you going to do? Oh, I'm sorry, Mary. I'm going to ruin this passage for you by explaining it. Because you see, it, it in Greek, it makes a little more sense. Uh, her point is, when you enter a house, stay there till you leave. Are you going to leave before you leave? Or are you going to leave before you go in? Uh, no, 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 no. Not at all. This is, uh, where did I put it? Come on. Come on, brain. Here we go. No, that's not it either. I actually looked this up. Oh, here we are. All right. It's Mark, I believe. No, that's not it either. Um, yeah, this is Mark 6, uh, verse 10. And he used to say to them, and this is kind of an important biblical principle, actually. He used to say to them, wherever uh, you may enter into the house, there. In other words, in that town, there. Eke means, and the word of the day is there. Eke it, it's a Greek word which means, essentially it means there, in that place. So whenever you enter a house in that place, remain until you leave from that place, Ekevin. Uh, um, so it's referring to the town. And the biblical principle part about this, I remember when you uh, we'd go on, on a retreat, we had a, a retreat team, and we'd go to a house that was not terribly comfortable, and you know, especially in among Spanish immigrants back in the day, um, that that they gave us their very best, and sometimes it was not that great, but it was done with great love. Then someone who was wealthier would say, "We got a swimming pool over there. We got a lot of guests. Why don't you come by our place?" Oh, thanks, that's great. Don't do that. Stay in that house, whether it is poor or rich. Don't think about the accommodations. You know, don't trade up. In the business of religion, don't trade up. That's a very important biblical principle. That's what Jesus is saying uh, in this. When you uh, enter into a place, when, when you go somewhere and you, you um, uh, um, uh, go into the house, so you stay at a house, don't trade up. It's important. All right, let us go now to uh, phone calls. Telegram for you, sir. He gets mad because he can't read. Oh, I see. I we I, I actually am old enough to remember telegrams. It was always very exciting. But this is exciting too because Nikki from from Hyattsville, Maryland, is calling. Nikki, what can I do for you? Oh, thank you. I, I'm calling because on Sunday, um, Jesus drove the demon out of the uh, boy and um, mm-hmm. just drove him out. And another mm-hmm. time he drove demons out into a herd of swine and mm-hmm. didn't. And uh, the swine died, but I didn't get mm-hmm. the impression the demons did. And God often uh, threatened to destroy humans, uh, like with Moses and like with... He always pulled back, but I mean, and with uh, Jonah, but why doesn't he just destroy the bad devils? Well, because devils are fallen angels. They are immortal spirits and they, they do not die. But the swine, that's very interesting. Why did he just not just say, get out of here? The swine, I, I, I think I discussed this on yesterday's show. The swine were probably a sacrificial herd. He was in a Greek-speaking part of the Holy Land, 
That was a, mm-hmm. about a third of the northeastern Holy Land was a Greek colony, and mm. the Greek gods loved pork. <laughs> and mm. There was a, a an inexpensive sacrifice that was a sacrificial herd. Those those pigs already belonged to the demon, and remember mm. the demons, being thousands of them, asked to go into the swine. And Jesus did things, you know, any kind of miracle is also a prophetic sign. And Jesus did this to say to that part of the world that this religion of yours in which you worship gods that are in fact not gods but demons, it's over. So that's why. Does that help? Okay. Thank you very much. So he couldn't destroy them because they were spirits. Yeah, yeah. I suppose he could have been God, but... That's not the way God works. They were spirits, okay. and and when we're when we die, we are not destroyed either. We are we are immortal souls in a mortal body, and the demons mm. were just immortal spirits. And the the pigs already belonged to the devil. They were the mm. sacrificial herd. That's why it was such a large herd. I mean, can you imagine okay. a thousand pigs? That's a lot of pigs. I wasn't, and I wasn't worried were, about the pigs. I was worried about <laughs> why God didn't you know blast. <laughs> The, the devil out instead. Yeah. Well, the, the, he was trying to make a point that that, that worship of the, of the, of the, these false gods was over. That's the way I read it. Okay. But, uh, okay. most people are really worried about those poor pigs and the, the livelihood of those poor swine herds. Don't worry about mm. them. They, they were taken care of. Mm. Well, thanks mm. for calling in, Nikki. God bless mm. you. Thank you. Bye bye now. Let's, God bless. Let's go to Allison from, from Mesa, Arizona. What can I do for you, Allison? Hi, Father. Thank you so much for taking my call. So my um, my question has to do with um, Catholic Charismatic Healing Ministries. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, the one specifically that I am, um, I just feel called to, I really am interested in, it's definitely Catholic, but they base it more um, mostly off of the Bible uh, scripture in Matthew um, and ten eight, so Matthew chapter ten verse eight, where it says when Jesus is giving the command to the disciples to cure the sick and cast out demons mm-hmm. and and things like that, and they're saying that was for all of us. That was for everyone who believes in Jesus. So I'm just wondering if that specific Bible verse is for priests, if it's for special um, people who are called by God to do that, um, or if it, that really is for all of us to have that gift, um, to be able to lay hands on people in that way. Well, the, uh, um, you got to understand that what priests do is sacraments. And the word sacrament, mm-hmm. uh, outward sign, instituted by Christ to give grace, the, the Latin word sacrament means oath to the death. We enter into a covenant in a sacrament. And sacraments mm-hmm. are conveyed by the property of, of, of the church, the bride of Christ. And thus, when it is a sacrament, a priest should be involved, uh, unless it's, of course, uh, baptism. A priest should be involved anyway, but uh, a lay person can confer baptism. That's the only sacrament that a, a non-ordained person can, can confer. However, mm-hmm. the idea of praying for the sick, uh, praying for their healing, really is available to everyone, not the sacrament. You know, what is... The anointing with oil and the laying on of hands in the sacrament of the sick, what's that about? Why is it a sacrament? Because you're making a covenant with the Lord. A covenant as I give you myself that you might give me. That's a covenant. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's witness, that exchange of persons. You know, in the Eucharist, Christ gives us himself. And that exchange of, per- of persons is is part of the life of the wider church. Whereas simple prayer for healing uh, and entering into a deeper relationship with Christ, that's the job of us all. So it's kind of a both and. The, the, uh, now, I think it wise uh, to refrain from anointing with oil uh, for lay people because it can be confused for a sacrament, but I don't think it's forbidden. Uh, but there has to be the understanding this is not the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, uh, which en- which we enter into an exchange of persons with the Lord, but this is simply prayer for healing. So does that help a little? That helps so much. Thank you so much, Father, for your help. Yeah, I think you have to remember that when Jesus said that to the disciples, it was they weren't ordained yet. I think they were ordained at the Last Supper, it seems, uh, with, with Christ's right. priestly prayer. They, they were not ordained yet. So... Uh, um, they were what we would call lay people. So I hope that helps. God bless and thanks for calling in, Allison. All right, all right. You know the the there's something called the Apostolic Constitutions, which are an early Christian document, and it said I think I can never find this line, but I I believe I read it in there. Don't ordain faith healers if they have the gift of healing. It will be apparent. You know, any Christian can pray for another person and should pray for another person to be healed. That's not a problem. But when we when we kind of create a class of, of faith healers, I, I get nervous about that. To be to be taught how to pray with people is a wonderful thing. But to say you are now a healer, only God can say that. All right. Mary Alice from Columbus, Ohio. Are you with us? Hello, Father. Yes, I am. Happy Thursday. Good. Um, the other day, yeah, um, many times when Christ has performed a miracle, afterwards he would sometimes say, don't tell anybody about this. And um, the other day you had a number of callers who were giving you a number of things to think about, and I was thinking about that very thing, why Christ would not want the apostles or the d- disciples to broadcast this event. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, because first of all, he's God and he is in the extreme humble. Does oh that yeah, that's true. That's why he would well, not, no, we, would not want we have a humble God. Uh, but I, yeah. what I really think is what he said to the blessed mother at, when she asked him to, to provide wine for the wedding at Cana, he said, my time has not yet come that, that, Jesus knew that that his working of miracles would draw attention to his ministry in a way that would be counterproductive. And also, there were lots of messiahs. Everybody's always declaring, I'm the son of God, I'm the messiah. That's why Jesus seems to be very oblique in his in his broadcasting that he's divine. And also about miracles, because when someone declared themselves Messiah and pretended to work miracles or claimed a great miracle was going to happen, people would run home, get a sword, kill a Roman soldier, and the streets would run with blood. That that people were expecting a political revolution. And Jesus, in effect, was saying, I, that's not what I'm doing here. Um, and, you know, his humility was demonstrated uh on the cross when he hung naked and exposed to the jeers of people, uh, humiliated as, as a, as a criminal. So yeah, he was a humble, he was humble. And it, 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 um, 
I think, yeah, you can say it was about humility because he said, I always do what is pleasing to the Father. We read that in the Gospel of John, I think the 8th chapter. And, you know, that he wasn't going to broadcast his Messiahship until the Father told him to do it. Uh, and in the way the Father told him to do it. So I think, yeah, it, I think humility, you may be right in there. There's a dose of, of his perfect obedience to the Father, which in fact was humility. So, well, thanks for calling in, Mary Alice. It's a good thing to ponder, and we do have a humble God, which is amazing. Let's go to Chris from Detroit, Michigan. What can I do for you, Chris? Hi, Father. Just a comment regarding the Scripture passage on the uh, disciples uh, meeting Christ on the road to Emmaus, coming to the end where they recognized him at the breaking of the bread. I want to assume that they he must. They must have all also seen the scars, the nail wounds in his hands that may have lent to it, even though Scripture doesn't say that. I'd like to hear your comments on that. Well, you got to remember, his was a resurrection body. That 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 he was raised in the spirit. Saint Paul says. I mean, it was a real physical body, but it had properties that your physical body and my physical body do not have. He was able to walk through doors. And he would have shown those wounds. Remember that, that it says in the scripture, he showed them the wounds in his hand and side. They would have seen it only if he chose to show it to them. And maybe when he lifted up the bread and said the blessing at Emmaus, maybe they saw the wounds there and realized that this was Jesus. Um, that might have been. But as they're walking along the road, it sounded, they, I'm sure they didn't see the wounds because they didn't say, you're Jesus. Uh, remember, he had a risen body, and he showed them his hands inside. Uh, it wasn't immediately obvious to them in the upper room. Does that help a little? Yes, I just want to believe that they saw what I, what I think they saw. <laughs> Thank you, Well, I, well I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if when he lifted up the bread and said the blessing that they saw the, 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 hand, the wounds in his hand. But that was the moment that he chose to show them to him. I, I, I think you're, you're, you're on safe ground in, in, in thinking that they saw the wounds, but it's a matter of when. So, well, thanks for calling in, Chris. God bless you. Let's Thank go you. to Patrick from Albuquerque. We just got a minute, Patrick. What can I do for you? Uh, briefly, we've got James in Compostela. We've got James the Bishop in Jerusalem. How do we know the two are different? What do we, what do we look to? One is James, the brother of John, son of Zebedee. And the other, the we call him James the Lesser because he came after. He was called the brother of the Lord. There is the two James theory and the three James theory. One day I have the two James theory, the other day I have the three James theory. But this James the Lesser, who was the bishop of Jerusalem, would have been a relative of Jesus. Whereas James who is venerated in Santiago de Compostela in Spain. That James is the brother of John. And speaking of people to venerate, well, not quite venerate, but close, Drew's coming up.